Happy Father's Day. We're glad to have you and your family with us today, and we're thankful that we get to recognize our fathers. As part of the sermon today, I want us to think about the family. How should we relate to each other? How should we act? And what can we do to make our families a better place for all of us and a way that pleases God? I've always been fascinated with Romans chapter 12, and I think that you will find this passage that gives you the marks of a Christian's life to be very helpful and very encouraging. Our scripture is Romans chapter 12, verse 9. In the other service, there was a young woman who said, I saw uh, men coming in and God taking burdens off them so that they could hear God's word. Well, I don't know about all of that, but I thought, what a tremendous thing. Would you give up those burdens so you can hear whatever it is God wants to say to you through his word. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it's written to the church. This is how we're to live in fellowship with one another. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be, lack, uh, be lacking in, in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for their evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is Mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, and he quotes Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you will heap burning coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I thought about my dad this week, but in a very strange way. 
Uh, last weekend, I worked around the house, and so I got a splinter, a little finger. Didn't think anything about it. Didn't hurt. Didn't sort of thing except I'm looking at my hand and try to rub that off, and it won't come off. So I, I get a little uh, something, little needle out, and I dig it out, and I thought about my dad. My dad loved when his sons got a splinter. He loved doing that. He'd get a mom's, one of my mother's needles. He'd strike a match. He'd put the needle in the flame, and then he'd start digging for that splinter, and he loved it, just loved it to no end. I kind of like it too, as long as it's your hand. And that's the way it was with my dad. He loved that. He loved he loved pulling teeth. Uh, it was just the most. It was an. It was just something that was a challenge for him. Get a string or worse, and pull his son's teeth. He even tried it on his grandchildren. Now the boys, my brother and I, we didn't have much choice. But the grandchildren revolted against that. <laughs> None of that. So why did he love it? Why do Why do I love it? By the way, if you get a splinter. I'm your man. I promise you, I'll bring the needle and the match, and I can do that. I love that too. Why do we love those kind of things? Because it's somebody else. This passage of Scripture is how you relate to somebody else. And while it doesn't have a thing to do with Father's Day, it has everything to do with Father's Day. And while it doesn't mention the small little family, it has everything to do with our small nuclear families. What it is talking about is Two groups of people. First of all, how do you get along with the family of God? How do you get along with the people of God? And the second one is, how do you get along with those people who are not of the family of God? How do you get along with those people who don't worry about evil and wrong? and who seek to persecute and seek to harm other people? How do you deal with those people? Well, this passage of Scripture, I love dearly. It speaks to us. Some people just say it's a long list of things to do, but I don't think it's that way at all. I think everything here revolves around the Greek word agape, which is the word for God's love for us, the love of God that sent Jesus to the cross. It's all about God's love. It is all related to him. It is what we do in response to the love of God. God wants us to love others as he loves them. God wants us to care about people who don't know him in the way that he cares about people who don't know him. So what I try to do with Scripture is I try to, to break it down, to break it open, and to let it speak to me and to us about what he wants us to do. And when I did that with this passage of Scripture, I came up with five very important things for us to do. The first one is this, genuinely care 
for others. Paul said, let love be genuine. Let love be sincere. Let it be real. What he is talking about here is not being hypocrites. Now, you and I, the world at large, use the word hypocrite in a little different way than is found in Scripture. Because in our world, a hypocrite is somebody who purports to be a Christian, a believer, who preaches the Word of God, somebody like me, but he is flawed and sinful. Well, remember, that's all of us. So where we're looked at is hypocrites. Uh, sometimes you will, sometimes people will say, you tell me what to do, but you can't do it yourself. You're a hypocrite. And while that is not a pretty thing, that is not the way the word is used here. The way the word is used, the way Jesus used the word, is somebody who is playing a role. Somebody who is have is. Com, com, taking an act and is acting it out. Somebody who is trying to purport themselves to be something that they aren't and something that they don't even want to be. I read a novel last week. I finished it up. It was about the, the president of the United States, completely fiction. You couldn't pick out any, you couldn't pick out any recent president in this, but you could see the family. And, and while it was a great story and while it had all kinds of twists and turns and plots that I love, the thing that stood out to me was the first lady, the president's wife. Because somewhere in the novel, this is what she said. If you could just know what it's like to be me. And if you knew what it's like to be on all the time and to always smile and to always be pleasant and to always say the right thing to the right person at the right time. And of course, what she was saying was this, that I have to put on an act. Well, that is completely what God doesn't want us to do. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know him completely and fully. And he wants us to love other people. And he wants that love to come from our hearts, a heart that knows him, a heart that has been filled by him, a heart that has been changed by him. Paul says, let love be genuine. And maybe the question that she would ask, a fictional person, but she would ask, how do you do that? How do you let love be genuine. Maybe you and I would ask the same thing. How do we have that genuine love for people that, that we don't know and don't understand and haven't seen and don't know anything about? How do we love them? Well, later in the sermon, I hope to address that completely and fully. But it is basically along these lines. It's because we go to God and we take everything to him and, and we 
are able to say, God, I want to be what you want me to be, and I want to be like Jesus, and I want to please you with my life. Let love be genuine. Genuinely care for other people. I have two verses for you I want you to think about. The first one is Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. I'm not sure I've ever quoted a verse in Nahum. I'm not sure I've ever committed it to memory. But this week it became so clear to me because right in the midst of a prophecy about the coming destruction of Nineveh, a city and Assyria, a nation, barbaric and 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 one that, that sought to conquer other people, here's what Nahum said. He talked about God. He, he said this, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of affliction. He cares for those who trust in him. And God wants us to be like him, caring for other people also love Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 because it speaks again about the church about the family of God therefore as you have opportunity let us do good for all people and especially those who make up the household of faith Genuinely care for other people. Genuinely care for your children, for your spouses, for the people around you. What does the Bible say? John the Apostle said, love covers up a multitude of sins. It's kind of hard sometimes to interpret that until I think of it in this way. Every one of us had a flawed father, and every father here is flawed. But when we know that they genuinely care for me and want the best for me, that covers up a lot of flaws. Genuinely care for other people. The second thing I see in this passage of Scripture is the admonition that we don't give up that we don't quit, that we don't quit on ourselves and we don't quit on other people. And certainly we don't quit on God. One of the things that we're seeing in this youngest generation is, is a, a, a feeling of hopelessness, a feeling of I can't go on, a feeling that I can't continue. We see that in senior adults. We see it in all kinds of people who want to throw up their hands and say, I tried and I can't do it. I tried to live for God and I can't do it. I tried to be faithful and I can't do it. I tried to change my behavior. I can't do it. I want to do good things, but I, it's impossible for me to do so. But one of the things that is clear in this passage is don't give up. Look at, look, at verse, look at verse 12. He tells us that, that we're to never flag in zeal, but we're to keep up our spiritual uh, fervor. And he says it this way, never be 
lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. He, he tells us to be a glow in the spirit. Now, that little phrase, what does that mean? Well, the easiest way to describe it is this. You're, you're standing in front of a fire. It's dark, but the fire is, is blazing. And standing there, you are in the glow of the fire. And the fire is the Spirit of God, and you are a glow in the Spirit. That's a beautiful way to describe it, but I saw another picture of it. Of someone says, but let's put a pot on the fire, and let's let it boil and bubble, and let's let it take good food and bring it to the top. And that's what it is to be a glow in the Spirit, that God the Spirit is working in you, bringing all these good things to happen. If you do not give up, if you don't flag in zeal, but rather you are a glow in the Spirit and you keep on doing all the things that you know to do. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Share with the people of God. Practice hospitality. Practice kindness. Be around those people and don't quit. I suppose if of all the things I want to say to the church in these days is this. Don't, don't quit. Don't give up. Uh, don't be weary in doing good things. But keep on. Because there's a God in heaven who knows us and who is with us and who cares for us. And there is the Son who is returning to the earth and that day is coming, and, and it's disingenuous in a sense to say it's closer than it's ever been before, but it is closer than it's ever been before. And while we always kind of think it's somewhere far off, it very well might be today. It is not the time to give up. It is not the time to quit. It is not the time to throw up our hands and say, I can't do this. It is time for us to, to firmly place ourselves on the Word of God, to firmly call on God in prayer, to seek Him with all of our hearts, and to do what He wants us to do. Whatever else can be said about us, whatever else could ever be said, may it be said that they never quit, that they never gave up, that they never threw up their hands in frustration, but they sought with all of their hearts to be faithful unto God. A third thing in this passage of Scripture is how we relate to other people's faults. And the way I see this passage of Scripture, it says, deal gently with the faults of others. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Blessing and curse, cursing are opposite. Blessing wants something good. Cursing wants something bad. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Don't curse them, but seek the best for them. So deal gently with the faults of others. 
Now, to all the children here, I'm going to give you a word from God. And that would be this. That dads, you need to deal gently with your children's faults. I remember hearing this years ago. I was, uh, I, I was back in the day when uh, Baptist churches had uh, RAs and GAs and mission friends and all of those things that are completely oblivious to about 95% of you. And so we had a director of the royal ambassadors who came to our church and preached and he wanted to say what a, this was boys, so he wanted to say, what's a boy? Well, I remember, I never forget one of the things he said. A boy is the one, a man can cross his legs sitting in a pew and not make any noise, but a boy is going to kick it when he tries to do that. And I remember he said, so remember, he's a boy. And dads, I would say, remember you know, don't, don't put up with stuff. Discipline. But remember Waylon at age nine trying to cross, cross his legs sitting in a pew. And deal gently and lovingly and kindly with their faults. And with the faults of other people around you. Why is it that we deal gently with our faults and severely with other people's faults? Well, I think, I, think, I mean, that's as natural as it can be, but I think here's the reason. We, we know why we do things. We know what we want to happen, but we don't know what we know what we're going through. We know what we feel. But we don't know what anybody else feels. Sometimes, here's the way I talk about you. I just wish they could understand me. I just wish they could understand what I'm trying to get across. I just wish they could understand what I want to happen. You ever feel that way about somebody? I mean, obviously, I got, I got buku of people to think that about. But do you ever think that about other people? If you ever say to your husband, to your wife, if you could just know how I feel, if you could just put yourself in my skin. Well, since we can't do that, it's easy for us to be gentle with ourselves and to be severe for other people. But we need to turn that upside down and we need to be gentle with others and we need to be severe with ourselves. And being severe with ourselves means that we go to God in repentance. God, you don't want me to do this way and I don't want to be this way. And God, I ask you to bring change in my life that's how you can genuinely love other people God I can't do this but you can do this and I turn myself over to you so that you can work in my life and so that I can be a different person it comes by repentance and prayer it's an interesting thing in the Old Testament. 
Uh, we, we often, the, the modern church often acts as if the word repentance is not found in Scripture, but it's found all over Scripture. It's found in the Old Testament, and the picture of the Old Testament is an action. It's something you do. You're going in one direction, and you turn. You repent, and you go in the other direction, and we all get that. It's, a, it's an apt picture of what repentance is. I used to be going in this way, and now I'm going to turn, and I'm going to go in this way. My life is going to be different. And I want to give you kind of just a warning. The word repentance doesn't mean perfection. You can't pledge God your perfection. You can't be perfect. You still are a person with an old sinful nature. You're still a person under under. Uh, temptation. That day is going to come when there will be no more temptation and there will be no more old nature, but that day is not now. Repentance doesn't mean that you're pledging to always get it right. It means I do not want to go the way I've been going and I turn from it. But in the New Testament, the word repentance is something so different. The same but different because in the New Testament, it means to change your mind. So you change your mind about something. You, you used to embrace sin, and now you flee from sin. You used to want sin, and now you don't want because you've changed your mind. You go back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By renewing your mind, by changing your mind, by living in a different way. Deal severely with your faults and as gently as appropriate with the faults of other people. There's a fourth thing in this passage of Scripture that, that makes a huge difference in the way we live. And, and the Bible, Paul tells us to live humbly and to live gently. Don't be proud, but care for people of a low position. And while we don't want to rank people, in fact, that's the, the worst thing we can do. Here are the higher-ups, and here are the lower-downs. Here are the wealthy, and here are the poor. Here are the something. Here are the others. We don't want to do that. That's not what, that's not for the people of God. That may be for some people, but that's not for you and me, the people of God. But for you and me, it is to understand that, that I only get to be a part of the church of God because of the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross for me. And that's my only reason for being here, the only reason for preaching, the only reason for, for any of this that I do is because of what God has done. And when we see ourselves in that way and we come humbly before the throne of grace, what a difference it makes in our lives because of that. Live humbly and live kindly toward other people and let us make the church a place where everybody is welcome and everybody counts and everybody is important and where everybody needs to hear or deserves to hear the good news of Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. There's a fifth thing 
And the fifth thing is this, overcome evil by doing good. It's, it's, I think it's a summation of everything that he said before. Don't let evil overcome you, but overcome evil by doing good. So how do we overcome evil? Well, if you keep reading through this, you, you treat people as you want to be treated. You treat them with kindness. You treat them with respect. You treat them with great love. If your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. It seems that the idea, we don't know for sure, but the, the coals of fire would be such to bring conviction upon the person, maybe even shame for what he has done. And and then that would bring him to open his life unto God. It's an evangelistic gesture that makes a difference in people's lives. How do we overcome? We, we overcome, remember Galatians 5, 16? If you walk by the Spirit or walk in the Spirit or walk with the Spirit, it can mean all three. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. How do you get beyond that old nature? Because you seek to be full of the Spirit of God. That's what, Paul, that's what Paul said to the Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. And I think the idea would be this, that, that you are so full of the Spirit that there is no room for anything else. What does the Bible say? It talks about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And remember, to be baptized in Scripture is to be immersed, to be dunked under the water. It's so that the water touches every part of the body that is completely immersed in the water. When we are immersed in the Spirit, then we are full of the Spirit of God, and we're under control of the Spirit of God. And for the first time in our lives, we have the power to overcome evil and to overcome sin in our lives. What an amazing thing that is. There's another verse I want you to, how do, how do I get beyond my sin? How do I overcome that old nature? Well, of all things, at least strange to me, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace in prayer. And I've always quoted that. And I've always quoted the part that says we have a high, we have a, we have a high priest talking about Jesus who has been tempted in every way that we have been tempted yet without sin. There's proof of the sinlessness of Jesus, and I've used it that way. But here's what I do. I always put a period there, and I end the paragraph there. But that's wrong. There's not a new paragraph. The next verse says, since we have a great high priest who has been tempted in every way we are yet without sin, then let us come boldly to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and grace. It's a way so that we don't yield to sin and so that we become different people. God, you know that I am struggling with temptation. 
Why is it that we feel like when that time comes, we don't need to pray? And it would be an affront to God to pray. The scripture says, when those times come and when you are tempted in ways that are common to all people, come boldly to the throne of grace and throw yourself before the throne of God and ask God for his blessings and his help. Have you ever thought what a difference would be made in our families if we threw ourselves before God, if we asked God to bless our families and lead our families and touch our lives and our families. Can you imagine what would happen to church after church after church if the family of God threw themselves before the mercy of God on his throne, begging God to help us be the church he wants us to be? What a difference would be made in our lives if we come humbly but boldly before God and ask for his blessings and his forgiveness and for newness of life. I pray you would do that now. Some of you have never trusted Christ, don't know the Lord, and what a great day this would be. I pray you would do that. I pray for boys and girls who made decisions during vacation Bible school who will walk to the front and, and symbolically let the church know that they've trusted the Lord. I, I pray for all of you and for me that we might yield our lives to God, that they might count for him and that we might please the God who gave his son for us on the cross. I ask you to make those decisions today. Let's stand and pray. After my prayer, the music will start. The pastors will be at the front. It'll be time for you to come here to pray. Come here and make important decisions. Let's go to the Lord. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your deep love. Thank you that you gave your son for us. God, I can speak for these people. God, we want to be like you. And we want to please you. And we want our lives to count for you. And we want to honor you with our lives. God, but we need you to change us and to make us what you want us to be. God, please speak to our hearts now. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.